Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Peter Coghill, Chris Ragg and uh, Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing technology in the universe of Star Wars. So, Nick, um, technology in Star Wars. We've got lightsabers, we've got robots, we've got interstellar spaceships, jetpacks, holograms. Um, incredibly advanced technology, right? Yeah, well, this is the interesting thing. As, as we all know, uh, the film Rogue One, which is a Star Wars, Star Wars spin-off, it's not in the main anthology, uh, is coming out in December. And it's the hitherto untold story of how the rebel spies managed to infiltrate... Uh, deep into the levels of the of the empire and and get the plans to the Death Star. Okay, and this is I suppose a spo- I ought to say spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Episode Four, A New Hope, uh, otherwise known as Star Wars, then uh, go and watch it now. Um, the the plans to the Death Star are what the the first um, film is all about. So the first chrono- the first film that was made chronologically, which is Episode Four, um, it is all about uh, the hunt for R two D two, who has um, the plans to the to the Death Star sort of inside him um, from quite early on in the film. And uh, these plans enable the rebels to work out a, a plan. They find the they find the, find the one vulnerability in the Death Star, and it means that they can, with a very small force, you know, take on this this giant space station and mm. uh, ultimately destroy it. Now, the the interesting thing is, um, and it's a question that some you know lots of people have asked: is why did why did he have to carry it around? Why couldn't they just email um, the uh, the plans? to the Death Star, you know, wirelessly or something, just transmit them. What's what's going on there? And I think actually there, there is an interesting consistency about the tech, the way that technology appears in Star Wars. Um, and this, I think, is what we want to unpick today, is, is that it's full of really, really advanced hardware. So you have, you've got, you know, robots everywhere, apparently cheap as chips. Um, but they're all highly specialized robots. Um, they're all they're all uh, what what they they seem to have their capabilities baked into their hardware. What there doesn't seem to be much of is software. Um, that that seems to be sort of missing from Star Wars somehow. And so so we've got these two puzzles. We've got very advanced technology, but we at the same time don't seem to have sort of very much software. And in general, you know, the the fact that the these Death Star plans are are so important, but somehow only able to be carried on this one memory stick, suggests that there also isn't really such a thing as data storage. And and my question, really, not being an expert on the technology, is is that possible? So fortunately, we do have an expert on technology with us, Peter Coghill. What's the answer to Nick's question? Well, the expert's a bit stretching it a bit, but uh, um, yeah. So, well, the clearly the technologies in Star Wars are fictional, uh, but for a few minute, they are there, but they have quite different to our own. Now, computers that we have, um, they almost universally follow a similar architecture, sometimes known as the von Neumann architecture, or uh, an alternative is the Harvard architecture, which relies on certain things and it relies on um a mutable memory that's persistent uh, a, a common clock signal so there's a synchronous element to it and then separate arithmetic units which perform function perform the addition and multiplication functions uh and that's really it they, they, they all follow the basic same practice and they, they they are they're more and more complicated so 
in this in our sort of technology there is no specific link between memory and computation you can have a computer that's incredibly powerful with very small memory or vice versa or 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 both um so the, the, but just but but there are potentially other technologies which are non not necessarily silicon based which and other architectures in silicon that might impose a trade off between computation and and memory mm. so um for example there are sort of there are architectures uh, sometimes called amorphous and uh, there are ones called systolic uh, and there are analog computing where you don't um, necessarily need a memory an immutable memory that, that uh, sorry a persistent memory that you can recall stuff from because your there is no state base to these machines there is no sort of state that they flip between one state to another and to another to another based on their program they're they're they're, they're, they're in, inherently asynchronous and there is no uh the the memory per se is just the, the what happens whatever ha voltage or or current happens to be on any given line at any one time and these systems um uh, often have a sort of strong feedback element to them so they can just they can perform a function um do some computation with no real memory state so assuming that the star wars technology is based on something similar to this then uh, and they haven't found a way of manufacturing s silicon or other architectures then yes you could ex you could assume that there's some sort of constraint on memory storage but you've got a ability to for high volume computation okay great so the answer is yes is that it's a, a viable technological universe that we've yeah that's but been there, revealed but no, to us in no star wars theoretical reason why the two is linked there's no sort of trade-off that you have to have between computation and storage okay great there's no sort of physical reason for so it. let's bring in chris let's have um your sort of two penneth in this yeah well i think i think there might actually be um tactical reasons why you would uh, have very, very sensitive information cut off from um, a system and, and people's uh, ability to interrogate that system and, and steal the information. If, if, this, if this information is critical to the survival of the, of the Death Star, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want people to be able to access it. So you might actually build that in for sensitive material equally when it comes to the the rebels trying to get this information keep it safe and transport it between places you might also want to use a physical courier in this case a a droid um wandering through the desert because that might be safer than trying to send it through an electronic communication system and in fact we see that paralleled today in counterterrorism and counterinsurgency where you know post snowden and all the revelations about how you know the west gathers information on its on its enemies uh people are reverting to carrying information around on bits of paper effectively mm -hmm. in order to avoid detection and so so i i think there might be pressing tactical reasons why why you would have a droid wandering around with some some information okay so i mean just hold on well actually maybe you're going to say what i want to say Peter. so you say it. well, well i can un i can understand that for the point at which you're stealing the information you're smuggling it out to maintain you know protecting the spies who who got the information in the first place but once you've got it 
rather than sending this droid on a this hapless droid on a bit of an adventure across the galaxy, why not just program the droid to wander up to the nearest computer terminal and push it to the the Star Wars equivalent of WikiLeaks or uh, upload or commit it to GitHub? So it's just it's there, and then it becomes public and completely immutable because there is a version out that everyone can find. Yeah, because I mean, well, the answer pre- is if you're trying to, if you're on the rebel side, actually, you probably never do want to hide that information. You just want to get it out there. But anyway, the the principle is that they we, they could be using their email all the time in Star Wars, just we don't see it, right? But but anyway, yeah. it looks like you wanted to take. Yeah, come no, back I was just going to gonna say. I mean, I, I I imagine the Empire as being a bit a bit like, say, North Korea or something, where where they have the complete capacity to control whatever information people have have access Mm. to and that's one of the reasons why they're in charge um and you know so so you you can't upload it to some public space because the technology has developed to the extent where they can completely control and monitor that that information i think actually sorry okay I, i can back up i've got some facts to back that up brilliant which is that in star wars apparently Someone has decided that uh, there is a thing called the Holonet, which is indeed Imperial controlled, and that is able to transmit um, signals uh, fast, uh, using faster than light transmitters. So that's another important thing which we ought to mention, um, which astute listeners may well be thinking, which is um, the problem with sending a, a signal, a wireless signal, is that it only only travels at the speed of light, right? And actually, here we're talking about inter, you know, well, solar system uh, to solar system distances. Um, and actually, physically, if you can't use the holonet, so if you can't send faster than light signals, then uh, actually popping the information in a droid and physically sending the droid is is the only way to get information somewhere fast. Um, but I, but I think I, this is, <clears throat> I mean, this is all really uh, interesting. I think the. But I, but I think the the why what there is clearly an absence of in Star Wars is kind of the artificial intelligence technologies that we're inventing at the moment. Not not uh, Aleph Insights per se, but you know the the kind of AI research program at the moment is very much geared around around learning. Um, so have we you know what we want to do is get to a general artificial intelligence that can be set any problem you can just tell it look we need to we need to destroy a death star or we need to translate this um bit of language or we need to build a you know a moisture evaporator or something and and it'll just be able to do that in star wars you see all these incredibly sophisticated but specialized robots which is a very different direction to the way that our artificial intelligence research is, is seems to be going and and so the question is why and i think i think you have to look for some sort of technology constrained um i was going to ask peter i don't know much about the materials aspect of this but uh, it looks to me like <clears throat> tatooine is pretty full of sand like the, is it made of something other than silicon i mean why why do we use silicon is it possible that the star wars galaxy which we know is far far away um is it possible that that galaxy is sort of very low in silicon or something uh, well silicon is not the only option in terms of semiconductors um Indeed, many of the early transistors and things actually used other semiconducting materials like gallium. Um, so uh, it, it's not be, it's not beyond the possibility, but it would seem unlikely given that it's constrained by the same um, physical and chemical laws as our own galaxy that they would have lots of sand, given that it's pretty prevalent here. Now, that's not to say that, but it may be that they've just that their technology tree has gone off in a slightly different direction it's found a different local maxima and so rather than 
rather rather than inventing the transistor, they invented something else. Maybe they invented a neuron first. Some sort of maybe semi-biological approach to uh, computing that just sort of outstripped and for whatever commercial reasons was more popular than than our own. Indeed, um, many of the early uh, many of the early integrated circuit manufacturers were experimenting with all sorts of weird and wonderful things, and it was just it was. Um, uh, sort of, commercial choice rather than anything else that made the the silicon transistor more popular um and it would be it's easy to imagine um a, a, a semi-biological or biological computer or optical computer that has that more that constraint of processing versus memory more baked into it so like c3po is basically a c3po chip and if you have one of those, it's not that you get the you get a general chip and program C3PO software into it. It's that the chip itself is designed to make a C3PO work. Indeed. So it might be you might have some sort of semi-biological process which is very good at spitting out C3PO chips in the same way that you grow bacteria. Um, but it's very difficult then to customize that process to make other things that are more general. I've got a question I want to ask, but Chris, you look like you've uh, you want to. Yeah, no, I was just I was just intrigued to know whether this would have any um, uh, reflection on the fact that um, R2D2 can fall into a swamp and then come out again functioning functioning perfectly. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess the swamp's probably made of water and other fairly benign organic materials, and as long as there's nothing too corrosive in there, it should be all right. I would have thought. I thought you were going to ask how come he can fall into a swamp and get out fine, but he can't walk upstairs or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, indeed, why does he only speak in beeps? I mean, <laughs> he seems to be able to communicate fine, but why didn't they just put a little thing that turns it into English? I don't know. I, there is another thought, of course, which is that actually the blueprints for these droids were designed in some previous age uh, of Star Wars, you know, which is now, um, mm. you know, where now the, the kind of technology or the, the know-how to design those things has been lost and now all we have is the blueprints but not the not the kind of process by which they they were developed mm-hmm. but okay so look but are there any rules of science fiction and is there a way that we can use science fiction scenarios thinking about our own world so so i i mean i think there's, there's obviously a question as to what's the what's the purpose of of science fiction you know is it is it to make comments about the future or, or is it to make a comment about the you know where we where we are now um and i think you know if you look at this the original star wars trilogy um and the f- the fact you know they were obviously produced in the late 70s early 80s and almost no film came out of hollywood that wasn't influenced by the cold war at that stage and so you know is there is there pr- they're not allegorical obviously but um but there is, you know, there is this evil empire that has a a weapon capable of destroying planets, and it's quite easy to see the parallel. So, is 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 this, you know, is the purpose to accurately predict what's going on in the future? No, it's to sort of entertain people and, um, you know, make a comment on the world they're living in in at the time. So, mm-hmm. I think from that point of view, you should, you know, you shouldn't be looking to science fiction to to accurately predict things but nevertheless i do think you know there is something called science fiction prototyping uh which is a recognized analytical approach towards uh trying to understand the implications of uh of future technologies and and events well tell us more about that uh yeah so well essentially uh what it what it does is um it 
it builds a you know much as science fiction does it builds a, a, a world based on particular technological parameters that you're interested in in exploring so you know what happens if um, we have computing embedded in people okay so you know what would be the implications of that and it takes authors as the as the analysts they create the world which is after all just scenario building and then they pose questions about that world from the basis of the characters uh, which is essentially you know like red teaming really uh, and so by by exploring this world and doing what they are very expert at which is you know empathizing with particular perspectives and building a world uh, it starts to gain insights that you might not get through using more structured and more sort of um, traditional analysis to try and try and understand okay how would people live with this this technology and mm. what would they do and it does and it and it also has the effect of communicating to the to the readership in a more engaging way than a than a tech report about um you know computer. yeah and i think the the interest it's interesting looking at what uh, sci-fi generally gets right or wrong Often sci- sci-fi really does hit, you know, sometimes really gets certain technologies right. Um, I just had a quick look uh, last night and found out that the first mention of debit cards was in a, a book called Looking Backward by Edward Bellamy in 1888. Um, tanks, of course, famously first sort of written about by H.G. Wells in a book called The Land Ironclads. Um, you know, but of course, uh, you, you, by some measures, Leonardo da Vinci invented the tank. Um, uh, video phones were first uh, sort of discussed in 1911 um in a column in in modern electrics so sci- sci-fi does sometimes get that right but i think what's interesting is where it is where it doesn't you know it's not it, technological uncertainty is such that we never really know how um something is going to be done in the future you know if we knew that we'd be doing it now so so what what i think is interesting is where it takes something and says what if this were true what if we could do this let's not worry too much about how it works but let's ask what would happen if this happened and i think you you refer to the rules of sci-fi i think there is a popular rule which is that you're allowed to change one thing you're not allowed to change too many things you're allowed ah. to change so you're allowed to say right we can travel faster than light but you know we've still got to be humans we can't be telepaths mm. or you can or you can ch- you can have telepaths but not not faster than light travel and so on um but it but it, if you take a book i mean i mean quite interesting i think the, a book called the forever war by joe haldeman which is a classic now classic piece of sci-fi sort of generally held to be about in inverted commas the the vietnam war um but but it's it features people fighting this war uh, but without faster than night travel right so they're, they're having to go to distant um galaxies to fight these aliens but they, they don't get there for thou- for a thousand years you know so that so that by the time they're there you know everyone back on earth has, has is has long since died but this war keeps going on you know they just keep fighting this war long long beyond the the, the original reason has been forgotten now, i think that's where sci-fi does some very interesting things where you can sort of say what if this were true you know what, what would it mean mm-hmm. what would it be like mm-hmm um i want to go on some other stuff in a moment peter is anything you want to come in on at this stage well yeah just to go back to the technology of the brain and if 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 related technology to to the brain so we if you think about the human human memory we're we're in human computation we're pretty general uh intelligence devices you know we're, we're capable of lots of complicated diverse and complicated tasks um but our memory is pretty poor in comparison to the the volume of computation we've got. We, although we, it feels like we can mem- remember a lot, but at, most of the time when we're remembering things, we're not recalling from a hard, solid state memory that is that is 
totally accurate. We are actually reperceiving the thing that we perceived in the first place. So we've maintained the sort of bit of a blueprint for how we experienced it and we just relive that experience. It's also pretty noisy and non-linear. There's all sorts of, you know, you, you make mistakes a lot about what you remember. So in that way, the human brain is a very good analog for these 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 systems in, in Star Wars where you've got a huge amount of computation um, and uh, a pretty low memory capacity. Um, so I think, you know, as the way to that maybe there is a biological element to uh, or analog element to the the way that these computers work and in the same way that we can able to use our computers our brains to do stuff um but we don't understand how they work maybe this is true for for these these um these droids and star in star wars you know how to you know how to make them you, you reproduce them but you don't know how they work okay um i'm loath to sort of wrap things up and don't worry i'm not wrapping things up there's so uh, there's some other stuff i want to go on to all right Unless there's anything burning anyone wants to say at this point. Okay, so um, I want to do a quick survey on a few things, right? So some of our answers can be longer, some shorter than others. So let's start things off really simply. One word or two word answer. What, what's? Let's start with Nick, your favourite Star Wars character. Uh, uh, I think I'm... That is, I'm, I'm fe- you know what popped into my head was C-3PO. Okay. I, I cannot for the life of me think why. You're but a bit like I, C-3PO, actually. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I don't speak... I don't, I'm not fluent in six million forms of communication. But you are a bit prissy. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got a great protocol. Peter? Um, I, um, I quite like Jar Jar Binks because he's oh. so divisively divided the Star Wars universe, the Star Wars fan base. Um, I think that's that's. There's no one on the other side of the divide, Peter. No, the, the, well, the kids <laughs> like apart it. from you, the kids love it. You know, the, the, it was there to no, be. No, they don't. The, no, look at the to... what to, what toys do you see on sale in the Star Wars shops? It's not Jar Jar Binks, is it? It's, it's Stormtroopers and Darth Vader oh, and yeah, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. But the, but the, but the... There are lots of effigies of Jar Jar Binks. Oh uh, yeah, but I just <laughs> we got we got it's... through this without mentioning the prequels, and now look what you've done. Yeah, I know. It's terrible, okay, so Jar Jar Binks. I think, but I th- actually, I think the I like I really like the um the the the, the, the sort of universal the soldier esque stormtrooper like there's there's so everyone is exactly the same they're all the same height and it turns out because they're possibly all clones or originally clones Mm. um and there's something quite scary about that concept it's a bit sort of cyberman or they've got a great look to them as well yeah and and they just just the fact that you know the sheer force um this represents these huge number of yeah different kind of force and totally uh, totally obedient um soldiers is is scary okay uh chris uh, so I think my my favourite character, really only a cameo, is a uh, Doctor Everzan, who is the um, chap in the bar in the first film, who tells Luke Skywalker he doesn't like him, uh, and nor does his friend. He's got the death t- sentence on Twelve <laughs> Systems. Is that right? And I, yeah, I think so. I, I think he's I think he's a cosmetic, a, a failed cosmetic surgeon. But um, I was about to say, the, he's the, not got a very nice face. No, he, he hasn't. But um, I think I think the reason I, I like him is because um, he 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 just picks a fight with the wrong person, and I, I like the fact that he's he's punished for picking on somebody who looks vulnerable, and then gets his arm lopped off. Brilliant. God, my answer is just way more boring. My favourite character is Han Solo. I just think he's cool. You know? I'd say, actually, if I had really had to pick a person I'd want to spend any time with, it would probably be Princess Leia. 
Um, not for not for sleazy reasons, but she actually is probably the most sort of Han Solo would be a bit wearing, wouldn't he, with his kind of macho larking about. Luke Skywalker's a bit wet, but Princess Leia is you know tough and interesting and brainy, and she's a princess. Yeah, good point. Favorite sci-fi film, and or a favorite scene in a sci-fi film. Okay, Chris. Uh, yeah, so I think. Um... Again, probably a little bit cliched, but the the Matrix uh, as, as a film, and uh, and the what what I particularly like about that film is the um, the the scenes where they have um, an inject of knowledge. So where where he suddenly learns kung fu immediately, uh, and I, I love this this notion of. Um, knowledge and expertise you know you have all these these uh studies and the thesis about to be an expert in something you must spend 10,000 hours over your lifetime doing it that you can just eradicate that capture what expertise is and inject it directly into somebody's somebody's brain i think isaac asimov came came up with that idea in in a short story actually about about sort of 40 years ago or something but um but that was a brilliant answer and combined in that film with some brilliant aesthetics and um music as well i hate the matrix no okay so we've got a naysayer (laughs) a non-believer yeah but i think that was a great answer peter uh i'm a big fan of the 2001 series obviously the first one is totally defines it really um we've, we've we've mentioned it before in podcasts as an example of ai but the the scene where Dave is trying to negotiate with Hal to get back into the ship after he's rescued yeah. his shipmate's body, um, and Hal is kind of belligerent and rude in a kind of very human way. He just sort of ignores him for a long time, and then <laughs> and then tells him to poke off because this conversation can't serve any further purpose. Uh, and so he has to sort of take extreme measures to get to break in through the the emergency yeah. hatch. So yeah, that that. Um, and it's it's very eerie scene because it's, yeah. it's set in sort of outer reaches of the solar system. Dave's vulnerable in this tiny little pod, mm. uh, facing off this enormous spaceship with this seemingly uh, crazy computer on board. Great answer, Nick. Uh, alien, and and I think for me the the see why and it's why I love the film so much. It's not the focus isn't on the sci-fi; it's on the people and the situation they're in. But the the whole opening sequence when their pods open and you realise that everything's a little bit dirty and a bit used because it makes sense. Um, the Silaco is a big mining vessel, and um, uh, or is it the Nostromo? I've forgotten which which one is alien, but it but it's a huge mining vessel. And the great thing is, you know, you have the you've got this a crew of seven on this gigantic um, mining, uh, you know, ore carrying um, spaceship. But the the um, uh, you know the the kind of two um, blue collar guys are sitting there arguing about you know what shares they're going to get, and you know they've been wake, woken up early because they've intercepted a distress signal, and they're kind of using that to try and work out how they can say, well, this isn't in our contract. So can we have more pay? It's just a very realistic human kind of scene, mm. um, which which really sets sets the scene for the rest of the film. Okay, because actually my answer is actually kind of the opposite of what you've said there, which is I'm going to give two answers, which is I really like I like 1970s films in general. Um, and I so I guess in, in terms of sci fi, my my two favorite I love Rollerball. Okay, 
I just love the whole look. I love any. I love the way this, then this, and my other one are, is kind of explicitly dystopian. Um, but I love Rollerball. I just think it's amazing. Um, but the 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 so. But actually, my favourite scene and one of my favourite films is probably um, Logan's Run. Um, the whole film itself, especially the way it ends, is a bit weak. Is it something that involves Jenny Agatha in a short so, dress? So and so, my favourite scene is actually the way and a great bit of technology. Whereas, if you want, you can essentially conjure up Jenny Agatha into your living room uh, any night of the week. I think is, is is a great idea, and that's a scene that's very much stuck with me from when I was an adolescent. Um, so, <laughs> we won't go into that. Anymore. No, let's not. So look, let's wrap that up there, guys. Um, I really enjoyed that. Thank you for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast with Aleph Insights uh, with Nick Hare, Peter Coghill and Chris Ragg. I'm Fraser McGrewer. And I think inevitably what I have to say is um, may the force be with you. Until next time, bye-bye. Mm-hmm.